Welcome to church today. My name is Ben Marshall, and I'm the youth pastor here at Pathway. And it is my privilege to wrap up our Made for More series. If you're new with us, we have been in a series studying the book of First Peter. And we have studied all through the book. We are now in the final verses of First Peter. And uh, today, we're going to go back to the beginning a little bit and then move on to the end. But as we've been studying through First Peter, we notice that, that Peter is writing to these exiles. He's writing to people who have been cast out of their homes and their lands, out of their friend groups and, and their families, because they believe in Jesus. These exiles have been driven all across to, to different countries and regions and nations because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Throughout this letter, Peter has spoken of suffering, often speaking of suffering. He has often spoken of persevering in that suffering, of the return of Christ, of preparing our minds for action, of being sober-minded, of being humble. As we move to the end of this series and the end of the book of 1 Peter, he doesn't change his tactic. He continues to talk about the humility that he has seen exemplified for him in the person of Jesus Christ. Peter is someone who, who got to know Jesus personally. He learned at the feet of Jesus, and he got to know who he was. And Peter commends that to us. This is the man that I learned from, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He speaks of humility. As we read these verses, I pray in the same way that, that we would allow the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, to really check our hearts. That's what we do when we enter into listening to a sermon. We, we don't come to hear nice-sounding words that make us feel good. Hopefully a sermon doesn't make you feel awful. But the reality is, when we listen to the Word of God, when we hear from the Word of God, it does something to us. It should impact us. And when we come into hearing God's Word, we should go out different. We should go out maybe a, a little bit deeper in relationship with God, a little bit more in love with Him, a little bit more understanding of what He would have for us and how He would have us to live. But it's only in a posture of humility that we are able to enter into the Word of God in that way. Pastor Craig Rochelle, speaking of the current state of our world, he, he said these words that I want to echo here today. He said, we live in a very divided world. And a very divided world needs a united church. And so today, my prayer for us is not only that we would allow the Holy Spirit to check our hearts, but that we would live with the transforming humility necessary to experience that kind of unity. To be what our world needs. That light shining on a hill. It can only happen as we hear the word of God and allow it to transform us in humility. All of us have certain feelings about the goings-on in the world today. And, and our goal today is not to further any division, but again, to look to this humble way that Peter learned from Jesus, and we can learn from Peter. So we're going to pray to that end, and then we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 14 together. So let's pray. Father, you are the almighty God. You are the creator of the universe. Yours is the power, the dominion forever and ever. Father, we pray that, that you, your kingdom would, would come here on earth as it is in heaven. 
We know that you are all-knowing and, and we are not. We know, reading through First Peter, that you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. And so, Father, today we come to your word with humility, asking you to do a transformative work in us that only you can do. That you would bring healing in our divided world. That you would bring unity in your church. We pray that you would use us in your divine plan, Father. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, we are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. I would invite you to turn there, uh, either a physical Bible or if you've got a, a Bible app, the Uversion Bible app, we're on there. Go to events, search Pathway Church, and, and you'll find your Pathway notes and all that stuff there. You can also look it up in our Pathway app. And while you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, I just want to give a welcome to everyone else in our other venues, to our classic venue watching. Welcome to you, to our response venue, and our Moon Campus with Pastor John down in Moon. I uh, just want to say hello to you. And everybody watching online as well. Uh, thanks for joining where you are. So as we end this series, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 14, Peter finishes his letter with these words. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert, and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my, my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, obviously, that verse 14 for us today, greeting each other with a kiss of love, now it's just got to, you got to blow kisses to each other, okay? So you can't, can't experience that just because of COVID and all that stuff going on. But Peter didn't know about that as he wrote this, you know. So anyway, we contextualize it. So, uh, but verses 6 and 7, as we read them, speaking of this, this humility and this casting of anxiety, it's really a throwback to verse 5, where Peter is quoting the Old Testament, and he says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And then after he says that, the next thing he says is, so because God opposes the proud, humble yourself. Because who of us wants to be opposed by God? So he says, humble yourselves. And so our, our point number one for this morning is seek humility. Seek humility. Verses 6 and 7 are not taken individually, but they're taken together because humility and anxiety are related. Again, humility and anxiety are related. Humility is, is revealed in our casting of anxiety on the Lord. Another way to say this is, is that casting our anxieties on the Lord is how we show our humility. It takes humility to own your anxiety. It takes humility to admit that you 
have anxiety and to do something with it, to tell someone about it. It takes humility. Casting anxiety on the Lord is an ongoing practice of active dependence on God for help. Again, casting anxiety on the Lord is an ongoing practice of active dependence on God for help. That's where the humility comes in, this ongoing practice of active dependence on someone other than yourself because you can't figure it out all on your own. It takes humility. So I'm going to ask you a question that uh, probably can just a quick answer, okay? Just, just think about it, and you probably won't need much time, but there's probably not many answers that you have to this, okay? So here's the question. What are you anxious about? Okay, it's been a super easy year. Like, not much has really gone on. Our country is, is doing very well, and uh, life really has been going exceptionally good, and, uh, and things are just wonderful. So there's not much to be anxious about, but let's pretend for a second that we live in the year 2020, and everything that could possibly go wrong or everything that could possibly not be the way that it used to be is currently not the way that it used to be. Let's just pretend. And let's also pretend that that might bring up a little bit of anxiety in us. Right? Anybody, anybody with me? Anybody feeling like a little bit anxious? Let's go ahead and just raise some hands. Anybody, anybody feel a little bit anxious? Even just like a little bit, just like little things every once in a while. You know, it could be, we're, we got double hands over there. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, so, anxiety. It's something that is just such a part of life. The scripture here doesn't say that anxiety is bad. It essentially is saying, hey, you're going to be anxious and when you are anxious, here's what you do about it. You cast it on the Lord. My oldest daughter started her first ever day of school this week. It's very exciting, but it's also like a little nerve-wracking. It creates a little bit of anxiety in you because you're like, okay, this is the journey that is now going to last for like the next how many ever years of her life. And it's like a little intimidating. It's a little bit nerve-wracking. It's a little filling me with some anxiety. And so you better believe I, I took that to the Lord, right? We cast it on the Lord. What do we do when we feel anxious? We don't hold it inside. We don't keep holding on to it. We don't pretend it doesn't exist. We don't deny it. What we do is we cast it on the Lord. We cast our anxiety on him. Because casting anxiety on the Lord is an ongoing practice of active dependence on God for help. And it requires us to seek humility. It's in humility that, that we yield ourselves or submit ourselves to the Lord. When we look at submitting ourselves to the Lord, many of us don't like to submit ourselves to much of anyone or anything. We sometimes rebel against authority. You see it very clearly. I just talked about my oldest daughter, right? She also rebels against authority. She's a child, right? This is something that's like ingrained in us is this kind of rebellion of not submitting and some of that, like the obstinance. And maybe she just gets it from me, who I for sure get it from my father. But we're stubborn. And we don't always submit ourselves. We don't always cast our anxiety. But when we look at this, what does it tell us? It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Under God's mighty hand. And then verse 7, what else do we know about God and his mighty hand? The end of verse 7 says, we cast our anxiety. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you realize that? Like, let that sink in for a minute. That our mighty God, the creator of the universe, says, hey, you, you're anxious? Bring it to me. Why? Because I love you and I care for you. 
often we see this heavenly father imagery of God, our heavenly father, and, and we see that, that he cares about his children. He's the perfect father. Sometimes we, we, we have struggles with maybe we didn't have a great earthly relationship with our father, and so that impacts our relationship with God. But God is a perfect heavenly father who will never let you down, who will never fail you, who will never walk away, who will never be absent. He's always there, always present, and he cares for you. He cares about your worries and your anxieties and your stressors. He cares about all of those things because he cares about you, because he created you in his image and likeness, giving you a purpose and an identity. And he cares for you, and he loves you. And because of that, we can cast our anxiety on him. Another pastor says this. He says, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. I love that. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And so we can take everything to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 55, 22 says this. He says, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will not sustain you, and he will let you be shaken. I'm just kidding. That's not what it says. Okay, that's not at all what it says. It says the exact opposite. It says, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. There's this confidence when we cast our anxieties on the Lord that he will sustain us. He will see us through. He will walk alongside us through our stressors, through our anxieties. It doesn't mean he wipes them away. It doesn't mean he takes it away, but it means he goes with us along the way. And that's what we can know about our Heavenly Father. He cares about us in that sort of way. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So again, anxiety is this expectation that it's going to come, but what do we do with it? By prayer and petition, we, we cast it on the Lord. It is in humility that we own our inability to bear the burden that anxiety brings. It is in humility that we own our inability to bear the burden that anxiety brings. You are not meant to bear the burden of anxiety on your own. You are meant to cast it on the Lord. You are meant to, with prayer and petition, cast it on the Lord. He will sustain you. But that's not all he does, right? We look again at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. What does it say? By, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God or cast your anxieties on the Lord and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we bring our anxiety to him in prayer and petition. And what he does is he replaces our anxiety with his peace. This peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what he does. Peter continues on in these next verses, and he talks about this enemy that we have. A very real enemy who does not want us to experience this peace of God. And so our point number two is to think clearly. Think clearly. We're going to see what Peter says here and why we say think clearly. The reality is, is that we are in a spiritual battle, but we don't always realize it. We don't always think of it in those terms. And so Peter commends us again to be, be alert and of sober mind in verse 8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. 
He commends us to be alert and sober-minded. And this kind of thinking is not rash or emotional. Another translation of sober-minded is dispassionate. Now, what this is not saying is, hey, don't get worked up about anything. Don't be passionate about anything. Don't get emotional about anything because that's not reality. We know that Jesus himself had very strong emotions. He felt very strong passion and compassion. But when it says, think dispassionately, what it's saying is don't let emotion rule your thinking. Because we know, right, most of us have made these mistakes before. When we allow emotions to dictate how we live our lives, it tends to put us in places that we didn't really want to go. And so we need to be careful to think clearly, to think rationally, to be alert and sober-minded, to do our research, to think deeply, and really to do what our mom always told us to do, right? And think before you speak. If we all just, just paused for a moment and didn't react or didn't respond immediately, a lot of our conversations would be filled with more grace, filled with more humility, filled with more healing than they sometimes are. So again, we want to think clearly. We don't just think clearly about the words coming out of our mouth, but we also think clearly about who our enemy is. That's where Peter goes. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So we need to know who our enemy is. We need to know how he works and what his schemes are. But we also need to know who our enemy is. Think clearly about who he is. So the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians says this. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Not in yourself, not in your own ability, not in your willpower. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The challenge is when we see division in our world, it often looks like a flesh and blood battle, but it's not. That's not what our battle is against. That's not who our battle is against. What our battle is against, again, are these flesh, or sorry, our, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a spiritual battle. And because it's a spiritual battle, we have to wage a different kind of battle. A spiritual battle necessitates a, a spiritual strategy. And so we need to put on the armor of God so that we can withstand in this battle. The battle is not against flesh and blood. I believe that the devil thrives where there is division. He thrives where there's division in the home. He thrives where there's division in the church. He thrives where there's division in our nation. He thrives in division. His work is to sow chaos and uncertainty and destruction. He works in deception and lies. In fact, his name is the father of lies, the deceiver. This is the way our enemy works. And so when we understand that this is the way our enemy works, we're able to look to the word of God as the truth, like God's truth, and see how do we combat this? 
Well, again, in Ephesians chapter 6, we have the sword of the Spirit. It's part of the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit helps us understand what truth is as we look to the Word and allow it to impact us and change us. But again, the devil thrives where there is division. He, he wants you to do certain things. He wants to use you in his game. He wants to use you in bringing glory to himself. He does this when he encourages you to post or talk in a certain way that is not God-honoring because he delights in sowing discord. He wants you to hold on to your uncertainty and your fear because he wants you to think immediate and earthly rather than eternal and spiritual. And I believe that our enemy wants you to be proud, anxious, and passionately ill-informed so that your posture is poor and your testimony is toxic. And so we need to be alert and sober-minded that we have a very real enemy, and our battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle is spiritual. How do we combat this enemy? Peter doesn't just leave us with, hey, there's an enemy. I hope you figure it out. He tells us what to do. He says, what do we do? Verse 9, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We stand firm in our faith. Again, the Apostle Peter in Ephesians 6, the armor of God. We have the shield of faith. And what does the shield of faith do? The shield of faith extinguishes all of the fiery darts of the evil one. That's what the shield of faith does. We stand firm in our faith. We stand firm with that shield of faith so that everything our enemy throws at us, whatever, whatever lie it is, whatever anxiety it is, whatever fear it is, whatever anger it is, we can ex extinguish those fiery darts with the shield of faith. We can figure out what the truth is with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It requires a sober mind and a shield of faith. If we are going to live this firm faith, if we are going to be able to follow Jesus faithfully in the world that we live in. Peter goes on again in, in the end of verse 9, not just to say resist him standing firm in the faith, but he talks about this family of believers all around the world. He reminds again these exiles, you are not alone. The struggle that you're in, it may feel sometimes like you are alone. And that's one of our enemy's greatest lies to you is to say, you're the only one dealing with this. You're the only one struggling with this. You're the only one thinking this way. You're all alone in your struggle. Continue to be all alone because what is he? He's a lion that looks for the weak link, right? He's a lion who thrives when you are not with the pack. So he says, remember, you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You're not alone. In fact, there are people all around the world that are experiencing similar things, that are struggling with similar things, that are feeling similar ways or thinking in similar ways. You're not alone. So don't believe the lie of the enemy, but think clearly. Think clearly. There's a community of people all around the world, but also right here at Pathway, who may not have the exact same life experience as you, but they love Jesus, and they will walk alongside you in whatever your struggle is. You just have to be humble enough to ask. Number three, Peter continues, and he says, live with hope. Live with hope. Verses 10 and 11, we see Peter reminds the exiles that there is 
hope, that the suffering will end, that this is not forever. He does say, hey, there, there will be some suffering, but there will also be an end to the suffering. There will be an end to this experience. And, and so he goes on, and he says in verses 10 and 11, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while. So he's like, hey, it's, it's going to be bad. Like, you're going to suffer. But there's a certain time where that suffering will end. And when it does, this God of all grace will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him, this God of all grace, be the power forever and ever. Amen. So it's going to be God, this God of all grace, who does these things, who brings healing and wholeness and restoration. It will be the God of all grace, the God to, to whom be the power forever and ever. That's this God. It's the God who cares for you. It's the God of all grace. It's the God who invites you into his family. Who does all of this. He cares about your worries. He sees you in your suffering and he does something about it. God is at work. At times it doesn't always look that way. Any of you who have experienced suffering or hardship know that in the moment, it is very hard to see God at work. But when we're able to take a moment to really think, to really broaden our perspective, to see from an eternal mindset, God is always at work. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never lets us down. He is faithful and true. That is the God that we serve. That is the God of the Bible and we see this verse 11 again, that this, this power that God has forever and ever, this is not a, a hope that Peter has, right? Verse 11 says, to him be the power forever and ever. It's not a hope that Peter has that, that the power will be his. It gives us hope knowing that the power is already his. The power to do what? To restore you, to make you strong, to make you firm, and to make you steadfast. What these words mean is that, that through the suffering, in your humility, as you cast your anxieties, God himself brings healing, strengthens you, builds up the firm foundations of your life, and guides you to stand fast with firm faith. That's what this God of all grace does. And then Peter, lastly, in the verses 12 through 14, we, we see our, our last point here, number four, to stay connected. He encourages the exiles to stay connected. He goes into this list of people at the end, which just looks like a, a closing to a letter. But remember, he's writing to exiles who have been spread all around uh, due to their faith. And, and he writes them and says, hey, here's who is writing with me. This is not just Peter writing in a vacuum, but here's the other people involved with the writing and sending of this letter. He says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So this is speaking of Silas, 
who helped Peter at least distribute the letter, but possibly even scribe the letter. It talks about she who is in Babylon, which is a reference to the church in Rome. And so again, the church in Rome is sending its greetings. And then Mark, uh, Peter says, my son, he says, Mark is also sending his greetings. And then when you greet one another, do so in a unified way, giving each other the kiss of love and peace to all of you who are in Christ. There's this unifying communal reality that Peter writes to. He says, hey, all of us are here writing this to you. Remember that you are in a community of people. Peter himself had this community and was able to to do life alongside at least his brother Silas, but far more than just his brother Silas. I think it's as we stay connected in community that we, we are able to fully live out our Christian faith. There is much that is made of a a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and our faith kind of being like my faith. And yes, you do have to make a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. It's something that I can't do for you. No one else can do for you. You have to make a decision. You have to surrender yourself in humility to say, yes, Jesus, please be my Lord and my Savior. Confessing your sins, admitting that you are not perfect, that you have sin in your life, that you have been born in sin, that you need a Savior because you can't save yourself. Right? When we do all of that, this personal decision has to be made to follow Jesus. And then once you are following Jesus, you enter into a community. It is no longer just personal. It is now communal. It's a decision you make on your own that brings you into community, helps you stay connected. So that personal decision connects you to a family of believers, not just here at Pathway, but all around the world. And yes, the reality is that this family is filled with broken people made new through Jesus Christ. I'm one of them. A lot of you are one of them. I mean, everyone's broken, but most of us, a lot of us have been made new in Jesus Christ. And so if you have not made that personal decision that that binds you together in this family of believers, we would so encourage you to do that today. I would love to talk to you after the message today and and talk to you more about what it would mean to enter into this family. What we do in this family is we are humble and honest. This family has struggles, but we care for and and pray for one another. And we do the hard work of holding each other accountable. We do the hard work of when one of our brothers or sisters is in sin, we confront them with grace and truth as Jesus himself would have. And we do it with a heart that is pursuing Jesus, knowing ourselves that we need help, (laughs) that we need the Holy Spirit, that we need the Word of God. But in this family, we hold each other accountable. We love each other. We care for each other. We pray for each other. We guide each other back to following Jesus when one of us strays. That's what it means to be in the family of God. It's not always easy Sometimes we have to have hard conversations. And yet in those hard conversations, God is so glorified as we're pointing more and more people to Jesus. The reality is is that that we are stronger together. I believe that our enemy is terrified of a unified church. Because when the church stands together, the gates of hell cannot stop it. And so church, if we're going to experience that kind of unity, we have to take the humble way. We have to look to the example of Jesus, look to the example of Peter to be alert and sober-minded, 
we have to seek humility. We have to think clearly. I just blanked on my third point. <laughs> we have to live with hope. Sorry about that. Uh, we have to live with hope, and we have to stay connected. And we're not perfect, right? As we do that, God is glorified. God is honored. And we are drawn into a deeper relationship with him and with each other. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for inspiring Peter to write this letter. And God, we thank you that we can learn from it today. I pray that you would take this word, you would write it on our hearts, and we would leave here living different than when we came in. Whether deeper in love with you, whether with some things that we need to work out with relationships with other people, or maybe just some things we need to cast on you, Lord, because we've been holding on to our anxiety. Whatever it may be, Father, I pray that we would leave here different and we would act on what we have learned today. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.